Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. Oh, that final goodbye was terrible. I dropped him off at the corner in front of Cedar sinai He didn't even know really where to go. I didn't know where to drop him off because the hospital was kind of so much closed down. So I dropped him off on the corner, not thinking it was going to be the last time I ever saw him like that. And he was clearly sick. You know, he clearly had something. We thought pneumonia. And he was leaving me as the sole parent of our son. So he couldn't hug me. He couldn't kiss me. We didn't. He didn't hug or kiss Elvis. I don't even remember what we said, to be honest. Looking back now and again, hindsight is a beautiful thing. What would you, what would you have liked to be able to say? Oh my gosh, I mean, all the things that you wish you could say to your person before you never see them again, the way they are. <laughs> that's that, that's what I would have said, I guess. That's Amanda Klutz. She's the wife of the Broadway star Nick Cordero, who died last July in Los Angeles after a long battle with COVID-19. While Nick was in the hospital, he was put on a ventilator and had to have his leg amputated. He was only 41 years old. Now, we don't normally do episodes with just one part of a couple, but sometimes there's an exception to that rule. And Amanda Klutz is 
that exception. In her new book, Live Your Life, Amanda is candid and raw and so incredibly honest about what it was like to watch Nick waste away from a disease that no one understood. She also painstakingly describes how she's completely committed to keeping Nick's memory and music alive for the world and for their toddler son, Elvis. Her story is heartbreaking, but it leaves you with hope that we can all get through our darkest moments. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. The first time that Amanda saw Nick was on day one of a reading for the Broadway musical Bullets Over Broadway. To jump into the ocean, take nobody's business if I do. At six feet five inches, Nick was impossible to miss. All the other girls in the show thought that Nick was pretty cute. Amanda didn't really notice him. She was happily married at the time. (laughs) I know we weren't looking at each other. As potential lovers, we just kind of met as, you know, co-workers and friends and not really didn't even speak much that week. And then, you know, we re-met, reconnected when the Broadway show was in a, a workshop stage and we were performing and doing that every day in a workshop setting. But over the next several months, Amanda's husband, also an actor, got a job on a touring show and the long distance started to take a toll on their relationship. They worked hard at their marriage but it soon became clear that they should separate and divorce. Amanda knew it was the right thing to do, but she was still embarrassed and ashamed that she wasn't able to make it work. Both Nick and Amanda were working on Bullets Over Broadway at that point, and they became friends. They'd have long conversations about anything and everything, including Amanda's marriage. Nick was safe, comforting, and a great listener. Amanda says that if it wasn't for Nick, she doesn't think she would have gotten through her divorce. He never judged or questioned. He just listened. We're just friends for a very long time. Just became friends and confidants and sharing, you know, very kind of in-depth information about the relationships that we were both in at the time. So we had this kind of foundation as friends first, which I, I think is a beautiful way to start a relationship. He became her best friend and boyfriend simultaneously. Bullets Over Broadway changed Nick's life. It gave him credit as an actor because he got a Tony Award. People were finally looking at him in a new light. And so before that, when I met Nick, he was struggling. He was renting a friend's apartment. There were often times he couldn't even pay that rent. So he had to Airbnb it so that he could afford to live there and live with me whilst Airbnb being his apartment. He was struggling with being in and out of work. You know, Nick was six foot five and he couldn't be in every show, in every play. He was definitely a specific type as I am at five foot 10. He was struggling a bit and I tend to love a struggle. I love to, you know, be a fixer, a helper, a teacher. So I think that's 
kind of what drew me to him was that he was just kind of this starving artist, musician and a hopeless dreamer and romantic and wanting to fulfill his dreams and going for those dreams. And on, then on top of all of that, he was, you know, uh, dashing, you know, six foot five, dark hair, brown eyes and just, you know, handsome and Canadian. So they the nicest person, you know, the nicest people live in Canada. And so there were many, many, many things. He loved his family, which I loved. He was a good friend, which I loved. Everybody loved him. They began dating quietly at first, so as not to get too much attention. And finally, Amanda introduced him to her family. There were ups and downs. They broke up a couple times, but the two of them got through it. And they eventually moved in together. When Nick landed the lead role of Sonny in A Bronx Tale, Amanda would meet him after the show and they'd have romantic late night dinners. One night over one of those romantic dinners, Amanda asked Nick when he thought they were going to get married. Nick's reply completely floored her. And he went on this ridiculous kind of tangent about, well, you know, we should spend some time together. I think this summer we should travel the world and then... You know, Bill Murray always said that if you can travel the world with somebody, then you know you should marry them. And I was sitting across the way from him. You know, we're both actors. I'm an entrepreneur now. I have my fitness business. And, you know, we're in our late 30s. And I'm thinking to him, when and how are we traveling the world together to know if we're the right fit? Like, I just moved in with you, dude, and we've been together. We've, we've broken up three times. Now we're back together. We've moved in together. I mean, that's proof enough. Like, we don't have the time to do what Bill Murray says to do. So we ended up getting in a little tiff that night, I remember. I don't think I talked to him for like a good solid day. And then he said within that day, he realized that I was right. And he started shopping for engagement rings. <laughs> I mean, as much as... I live my life by all of Bill Murray's advice. I don't consider him, I don't consider him my love guru. <laughs> uh. Nick ended up proposing two months later on a trip up to Woodstock in New York. Six months later, Amanda and Nick were married. Well, I will tell you that Nick and I took an incredible honeymoon. We were so lucky. We did a very much kind of touring the world. We started off in Southern Italy at a friend's wedding and then went to the Amalfi Coast and then we went to Istanbul and then we went to Africa and then we ended in Bali. And we got off the plane in New York City from flying home from Bali. And I finally, I did understand what Bill Murray was saying. When you can travel with somebody like that, and it's not always, you know, Ritz Carlton's and, you know, chauffeurs. You do get a sense of like, okay, I could spend the rest of my life with this person for sure. And a year after that, the two of them learned that they were pregnant with a little boy. They named him Elvis. It was a lot of change and it all came so quickly. But it was also everything that Amanda had ever wanted. The two of them decided to move from New York to L.A. partly so that Nick could pursue more of his musical dreams. It was around this time that news of a new virus started to make headlines. ABC News, straightforward. Now to growing concerns about the deadly coronavirus officially hitting the U.S. Here's what we know. A Washington state resident... Amanda remembers very clearly their last normal day together at the time. It was her birthday, but because of the impending COVID lockdown, they didn't make big plans. 
There was a small, socially distanced outdoor celebration with friends. Probably my birthday was probably the last normal moment, even though it was kind of a very slow, quiet day around the house because it was like the second or third day of kind of everything being closed down and restricted to our homes. It was the most normal. You know, Nick was still Nick. We were just trying to, you know, get through the day, be a family, celebrate my birthday as much as we possibly could within the circumstances. But yeah, that would probably be the last normal, wonderful day that we had together. Nick made her a very special birthday gnocchi. He promised her that as soon as things get back to normal, I am going to throw you the best birthday party ever. Amanda ate the gnocchi. Nick couldn't. He didn't have an appetite and he said he was feeling tired. They crawled into bed early and Amanda writes in her book, that was the last time I slept beside my husband. I should have snuggled him harder. Over the next few days, Nick grew increasingly exhausted. He began to sleep all the time, but he didn't have any of the other telltale signs of COVID. He hadn't lost his sense of smell or taste. He really just needed to sleep. But Nick, when he started getting sick, I'll, I'm doing air quotes because all he was, was was tired. He was laying in bed for hours at a time, laying on the couch for hours at a time, could not keep his eyes open. If he was awake, it was for an hour, and then he would tell me, I just have to go lay down again, Amanda, I'm so sorry. For a brand new mother trying to start a business in a brand new city, this was frustrating. Amanda needed help, and in hindsight, she now feels guilty about that. I just was looking at him like, gosh, you know, get it together. What is, what's going on? You know, I, I, I feel horrible about that now, of course, but that was the honest truth. I was looking at him like, you know, I, I'd love to take a three-hour nap. I'm exhausted as a mother trying to raise a baby, and now I'm doing it without your help at the moment. Yeah, the benefit of hindsight is so interesting, and one of the things that also as a mom of young kids if my husband told me he was tired I'd be like that's great dude get the fuck up come on um yeah. like, so yeah <laughs> exactly and so and hindsight is such an interesting thing right and then of course we second guess ourselves and COVID was such chaos and so like, reading what you wrote about like the chaos we didn't know anything that was going on and also he had none of the normal COVID symptoms. Yeah. So, and I, I remember that time where it's like, we would get, we would get a cold, but we're like, but it's, but it's not a dry cough. Right. So, so we, we don't have it. On the sixth day with extreme fatigue, Nick was changing Elvis's diaper when he fell to the floor. He'd fainted. The couple got to urgent care as quickly as they could, but Amanda wasn't allowed inside. The doctor actually refused to test Nick for COVID, saying that he didn't have any of the symptoms. When they got back home, Nick got more and more fatigued. He began to cough, and it took him 30 minutes just to take the few steps from the bedroom to the kitchen table. That's when the two of them decided it was time to go to the emergency room. Nick couldn't hug or kiss Elvis when Amanda dropped him off at the corner by the hospital. It was too risky. He just shrugged and waved at his baby from six feet away. It was the family's last real goodbye. Oh, that final goodbye was terrible. You know, again, retrospect, but I dropped him off at the corner in front of Cedar sinai We didn't, he didn't even know really where to go. I didn't know where to drop him off because the hospital was so much closed down. So I dropped him off on the corner 
not thinking it was going to be the the last time I ever saw him like that. He was clearly sick. You know, he clearly had something. We thought pneumonia. And he was leaving me as the sole parent of our son. So he couldn't hug me. He couldn't kiss me. We didn't. He didn't hug or kiss Elvis. I don't even remember what we said, to be honest. I think, I know I said, you know, I'll, I'll drive around or I'll go for a walk with Elvis. I'll be in the neighborhood. Call me when you're done. I thought it was going to be an hour or two and he would be out of the ER with his with new meds. No way did I think it would be they're keeping me overnight. No way did I think it would go the, the, the way it did. It was very, unfortunately, in a way cold, I guess you could say. Amanda writes in her book, he was never the same again. He woke up, but Nick never really came back. Time for a quick break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. 
It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On March 30th, Amanda dropped Nick off at Cedar sinai Hospital and drove down the street. She just parked her car not far away from the emergency room because she assumed that he would be out in a couple of hours. Los Angeles was eerily empty. She sat in a park with their baby Elvis. The song Volare started playing from speakers somewhere. Amanda took this as a good sign. Nick always played that song when he made her his famous gnocchi. Then the hourly updates from Nick kept getting increasingly strange and frightening. He said the hospital needed to keep him overnight. Then he told her he had to go to the ICU because his organs weren't getting enough oxygen. Amanda went home because there was nothing else she could do, and Nick spent the entire next day in the ICU. Amanda fell asleep with her phone in her hand and her baby next to her. That's where her phone was when Nick called again at four in the morning. He told Amanda that the doctor said they needed to put him on a ventilator into a medically induced coma. Nick said it should only be for a few days, but he was scared. Amanda was scared too. They said, I love you. April 1st at 4 a.m. was the last time that Amanda heard her husband's voice. Nick Cordero was 41 years old and healthy. Even after he was put on the ventilator, even after he tested positive for COVID, Amanda had hope that he would be fine. She made videos every day of her and Elvis telling Nick that they loved him and missed him. See, the silver lining of having a baby during this crisis is that Elvis literally saved Amanda's life. He kept her from curling up in a ball and crying all day because she had no choice but to be present, to be his mama. Amanda shared their story on Instagram. She wanted other people who might just be tired to know that maybe they should get tested for COVID-19. She also wanted the world to pray for Nick. The doctors kept updating her every day, but all the medical jargon was confusing. They told her to stay hopeful, but the COVID rules and not being able to see him made it so confusing. They gave Nick something called hydroxychloroquine in the hopes that he would come off the ventilator. Amanda waited for that call that Nick was breathing on his own. But on April 10th, the doctor called with different news. Nick had an infection. He spiked a fever, his heart stopped, and he died for two minutes. 
They resuscitated him, but his survival was on a minute-by-minute basis. That phone call was the first time that Amanda was hit with the reality that she could lose her husband. The only way to keep Nick alive was to put him on a machine that kept his heart and lungs functioning for him. There was now nothing that Amanda could do except pray. She hadn't even FaceTimed Nick. Hadn't seen his face since he went into the hospital. I had never been in the hospital except for giving birth to Elvis. Nick hadn't either. We didn't know anything about anything. I didn't even know I could ask to FaceTime. When they first called and told me that somebody had called to ask to FaceTime Nick, I remember in my head going, and then I said it out loud to the nurse who called, I'm sorry, wait, if anyone's going to FaceTime Nick right now, it's going to be me, his wife. I don't know who just called in, but it's definitely not her. And she was like, well, have you not been able to FaceTime him yet? No. And do you want to? Yes, of course. And the first time I FaceTimed Nick, unfortunately, He was covered in tubes. The ventilator was still down his throat. And so when that happens, you know, you have all these pads and tubes all over your face. So you can barely even see your face. But despite that, it was still wonderful to see him. I mean, he was deep within his coma. So I don't know. I'll never know if he could even hear me or not. But it was half great to see him, of course, and great to connect with him, of course, And then also the other half is the exact opposite of that. That's the last way you want to see your husband looking that hopeless and desperate and sad and lonely and covered in lots of machines. That's so it was, that was the juxtaposition of my life. This whole, this whole 95 day battle though. Amanda had no idea if Nick could even hear her voice, but she tried to stay as normal as she could. She talked and talked and she said, I love you. You look good. You're going to be okay. You've got a whole lot of living to do, but you've got to wake up. When she sang him a song called Exactly That, You've Got a Lot of Living to Do, the nurse leaned over into the camera and told Amanda that his blood pressure was actually getting better, that the singing was helping. felt amazing to finally be able to do something to help her husband. After Amanda hung up, she decided to try something else. She tried to rally an army of friends, family, and people on Instagram to sing and dance and do the same song at 3 p.m. the next day. Messages flooded in from around the world, even one from Priscilla Presley herself. Thousands of people were singing and praying for Nick. But Amanda knew her husband very well. She knew that if anything would wake Nick up, It would be hearing his own music, not Elvis's. See, Nick had always dreamed of being a rock star, and even at the age of 41, which is not that old, he still believed that his big break was coming. So Amanda's new mission was to make Nick a rock star, right then while he was asleep in the hospital. The next morning, she announced on Instagram that she wanted everyone that followed her to sing and play one of Nick's original songs, a song called Live Your Life. At first, she was worried that no one would join in. But once again, the world stepped up. At 3 p.m., babies, teenagers, grandmothers, people with their dogs, people in bathtubs, and people on their rooftops all started singing Nick's song. Like 
yeah, we, you know, we started that 3 p.m. singing with an Elvis Presley song, Got a Lot of Living to Do. Because when I was FaceTiming Nick that first time, I was just telling him, you know, honey, don't, you know, you got a lot of living to do, got a lot of living to do. And as I kept saying, I was like, wait, that's a song. I know this song. And so that response to joining me that day, I remember, I remember going to bed and thinking like, how can I help him? How can I help him? We got to sing his song. If there's anything that's going to wake him up. You know, every artist has an ego and I knew, you know, Nick, Nick is going to be wanting people to sing his song, not Elvis Presley's song. (laughs) And I thought, gosh, you know, I hope everybody still joins me because nobody knows this song. And then they did. And then thank God, because yeah, that song became kind of like the anthem for this time, not kind of, it became the anthem of this time, kind of an anthem of the COVID time and made Nick a rock star. It was on the radio. The whole world was singing it. In my opinion, pretty much the definition of a rock star. If the whole world is singing your song, not too shabby. <laughs> That's a hundred percent the definition of a rock star. And I love, <laughs> I just love that you made, you made that happen. That was you. You're like, I know this is what he would want. And you're, you're so right. Every artist has an ego. Nick stayed stable that night and Amanda kept the world singing. Time for a quick break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. 
find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They had Nick on blood thinners to help the blood keep flowing, but there was clotting in his right leg, and his leg was dying. His toes, foot, and calf were all turning black. The doctors called Amanda and told her they would need to amputate the leg. When he woke up, his leg would be gone, and Amanda thought about just how terrifying that moment would be for her husband. How he'd be devastated after building a career that relied explicitly on his body to do work. She asked the doctor if there was any other way. He told her that there wasn't if they wanted to save Nick's life. So she gave her consent. Because the amputation was a major surgery, Amanda was finally allowed in the hospital. She rushed there as quickly as she could. The date was Divine Mercy Sunday in the Catholic religion. That's the day when the most miracles are recorded. When they finally let her in, it had been 20 days since Amanda had seen her husband in person. She imagined the hospital like a scene out of Grey's Anatomy, busy, loud, but it was mostly silent. The nurse led Amanda to a window in a hallway where she could see Nick. She cried her eyes out and prayed silently. The nurses just kept bringing in new boxes of tissues. The closest Amanda could get to Nick was right outside his door with thick glass separating them. All Amanda could do was scream, I love you, wake up, wake up. She cried through four masks. Nick went into surgery. It went as smoothly as possible. From then on, Amanda continued to sing at 3 p.m. and the world continued to join her. She FaceTimed with Nick every day and always stuck to the same script. Your name is Nick Cordero. This is Amanda, your wife. You have a son, Elvis? You have to wake up, babe. The doctors kept trying to do everything that they could. 
The world kept praying, but the doctors finally called Amanda and told her that Nick might not make it through the day. Amanda was in Nick's room, and she held his hand and rubbed his head. She held him for as much as she could without disturbing the tubes and wires around him. She prayed and begged Nick to come back, but she told him it was okay if he couldn't. She played him Aretha Franklin's version of Amazing Grace. She thanked him for fighting so hard and told him stories. She wanted Nick's last moments on earth to be filled with nothing but joy. But Nick stayed alive. His numbers got better and better. He was fighting. Amanda created a playlist for Nick and began singing and dancing all over his room. They told Amanda that her husband would die that day. But against all odds, he started to get better. Just 14 hours after they told Amanda to come to the hospital, Nick was able to follow some of her commands. She asked him to smile. The corner of his upper lip lifted as much as it could. Amanda traded shifts with other family members. They all kept singing and dancing. She was finally allowed to stretch out on the bed and lay next to Nick. She switched the music to Ella Fitzgerald, Dream a Little Dream of Me, and slept with her head on Nick's chest. There was no denying the fact that Nick's lungs were destroyed from COVID. There were holes in them that would never heal. The doctors finally told Amanda that despite the seeming signs of progress, Nick was probably not going to make it. But time continued to pass, and both Nick and Amanda continued to fight. Elvis turned one. He took his first steps. Amanda begged the doctors to let Elvis in the room with Nick if it was finally the end. When the doctor called on the morning of July 4th and told Amanda to come in, she knew. It was something that I kind of felt right away when I walked in the room and looked at Nick. You know, you get to know your person pretty well. I think you're the best advocate for your person in the hospital. And uh, throughout this whole battle, I could tell that Nick was fighting. I could tell when he was with me and working on doing as much as he possibly could to stay with us. And I walked in that day and there was sort of a energy shift that I felt in him, in the room and everything. And then it was one of our, one of our favorite doctors. She was uh, in a, a woman that was with us from the beginning And she was a mother. And so Leslie, Nick's mom, and I really just loved her and trusted her a lot and appreciated her sincere bedside manner. And she, you know, she took us uh, outside the room and, and she said something which hadn't been said to us. It was in our face every day. We were looking at it every day, but nobody had said it to us. And she said, in case no one has said this to you, and I'm I'm telling you this because maybe Nick said something like this to you, Amanda, in you know your talks about life. She said Nick is on 100% life support right now. There is nothing he is doing on his own. It is all his body is being run by machines, and his body can't keep up. And you know we're, we're maxed out on everything. And if that means anything to you, if you and Nick had ever talked about if it gets to that point in life, I'm saying this to you now. And nobody had said that to us. It hit Leslie and I like a ton of bricks. That was definitely like the moment where we both knew that it was time to 
say goodbye. But also when you're young and healthy and in love and you just had a baby, I feel like you don't talk about those things. I don't think my husband and I have talked about them. No, we still don't have a will. We're the worst. We didn't either. No, we didn't have a will. Nick and I didn't have a will. No, because you think nothing's going to happen. You know, you think, you know, oh, we'll get around to it. Life gets so busy. I'll get a lot. I'll get around to it and you'll do it. We'll do it. You know, oh, I know, you know, gosh, we still got to do it. And so, no, you don't. And I mean, the only, the only reason why Nick and I had had that conversation was because a good friend of his was in that position and is still in that position and, or at the time was. And so we had talked about it. We had talked about, would you want to be living in a hospital with your body run on machines, you know, not able to move? Is that something that we would want in our lives? And we both looked at each other that day and said, oh my gosh, no, please, 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 please don't, don't do that to me. When it was said to us aloud, And knowing that we had really exhausted all options, knowing that we had fought, we had tried, we had done everything we possibly could do. And that just this vicious cycle was not only getting better, it was just continually getting worse. It was, it was very clear that day. Amanda finally got the approval she needed for Elvis to come into the room and see his father for 10 minutes. Looking at Nick, she knew that it would be the last time they would ever be together as a family. She piled their three hands on top of one another. Elvis giggled, and Amanda hoped that Nick could hear it. That battle of trying to get Elvis in, and as a mother, and at knowing Nick, you know that's right, but you're also like, no, you know, let me do what I need to do and what I want to do for Nick and what Nick would want. So that day, the July 4th day, they finally let me bring Elvis in for literally 10 minutes, but I was thankful for every single one of them just so that they could say goodbye. I don't know, you know, if Nick could hear Elvis or could see Elvis or could sense Elvis. There was no recognition from him that he did. And again, Elvis was just turned a year. So I couldn't really tell from Elvis anything either, but at least that moment happened. And that's what meant, you know, a lot to me that that moment happened. The doctors told Amanda that Nick was on 100% life support, that what they were doing to his body was no longer causing him more good than harm. Amanda kept holding his hand, rubbed his head, told him she loved him. She prayed. She played the music that he loved. They took him off the last machine. The end of Nick's life, those, what happened there, it's a lot. And I, I didn't talk about it when it happened. I, it is now in this book. So in my opinion, it's a very beautiful way to pass. So I, I encourage people to pick up the book and read about it. it there's so much in there that it's too much to say on an interview, but it is. it was a beautiful way to let someone that you love go. Amanda Klutz never thought that she wanted to write a book, but she did, and the world is better off because of it. And now that she has written it, she's so incredibly grateful that she could remember her love story with Nick this way and get it all down on paper for Elvis. Um, And it was something I'm so glad that I did because there is so much detail this to this story. So many things happen, so many crazy 
serendipitous events and and beautiful moments within crazy trauma that I don't want to ever forget. And now I don't have to worry about that because I want Elvis to know this real story one day. And now he can't. Now he has every single detail. It's written down and the machines and the medicines and the everything, the dates and the rooms. And it's just all very, very clear now for him. And I think that will be very important to him as he grows up and starts asking me questions and wants to find out, you know, this story because he was so young when it happened. Did recounting all of it and going back over it all with Anna, did it make you see or remember anything about your marriage in a, in a different way? Because most of us don't get to go back and retell our love story. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, anytime you can look back retrospectively on something, it sheds a whole new light on it for sure. And then not only thinking about it, but then actually having to write it down and then edit it and then talk about it in an audiobook and even in all these interviews. It, every time you talk about something, I think it sheds a new light on that topic. You continually try to, you know, continually learn more and more about who you are, who we were, why I think things, certain things happened, um, why I think actually we were perfect for each other, even though we disagreed on a lot of things and and always had little arguments and things here and there. I shed a lot of that light in the book. We weren't perfect people. We didn't have a perfect marriage. We weren't perfect parents. But uh, I think that's the beauty of being able to look at things retrospectively. Amanda and Nick were Broadway people. And Amanda writes in her book that as Broadway people, her and Nick always believed that the show must go on. I asked Amanda about that at the end of our interview. What does that mean in the context of Nick's death? She said that it means staying committed to keeping Nick's legacy and life alive in the world. Well, you know, I think that that luckily was the training I, I actually, this was something I realized in, in the book because in writing the book, so many people asked me this question, you know, how did you, how did you keep going? How did you keep doing this? And I realized this is what I've been doing my entire life. I've trained for this. I've trained for the roller coaster of the ICU. I've trained for high, super highs, dropping down the next day to super lows. That's what being a Broadway performer is, auditioning every day, being told no, 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 no. And then just showing up the next day with a smile on your face and your hair done and your heels and your hands ready to dance again, hoping that today's a yes. Or being in the Broadway show and having a job and having a life and having a community and having a family. And then New York Times gives you a horrible review and your show closes and you're back to nothing on unemployment making $200 a week. That was my life for 17 years. And so I think there's a lot about the show must go on because that has been my like internal monologue that my for 17 years of life living in New York City. And you know that even when you're in a show, 
you live a normal life, you're a normal human being, super highs and lows in your own personal life. And then you walk into that theater and you have to put your makeup on, you put your costume on and you go out on stage and you sing and you dance and you do your jazz hands. And underneath it all might be that your parents are going through a divorce or you just found out that your best friend got cancer or you just had the worst day of your life because something happened, but yet you're on stage and you're smiling and doing a show. And then you go home and you face reality again. And so I think that's what I mean. Show people just have this ability to put on a happy face, to make things work, to be resilient, to not take no for an answer and to show up the next day ready to dance, ready to smile, ready to sing. And it doesn't matter what comes their way because they'll be back tomorrow in the same form. This episode of Committed was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. And a very special thanks to Amanda Klutz. Supervising producer is Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J-O at committedpodcast.com. You can grab a copy of Joe's book, How to Be Married, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. 
I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.